Section 1 of Don Rodriguez, Chronicles of Shadow Valley, by Edward John Morton Drax Plunkett, Lord Dunsany. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Ed Humpel. Chronology. After long and patient research, I am still unable to give to the reader of these chronicles the exact date of the times that they tell of. Were it merely a matter of history, there could be no doubts about the period. But where magic is concerned, to however slight an extent, there must always be some element of mystery, arising partly out of ignorance, and partly from the compulsion of those oaths by which magic protects its precincts from the tiptoe of curiosity. Moreover, magic, even in small quantities, appears to affect time, much as acids affect some metals, curiously changing its substance, until dates seem to melt into a mercurial form that renders them elusive even to the eye of the most watchful historian. It is the magic appearing in Chronicles 3 and 4 that has gravely affected the date, so that all I can tell the reader with certainty of the period is that it fell in the later years of the Golden Age in Spain. The First Chronicle How he met and said farewell to mine host of the dragon and knight. Being convinced that his end was nearly come, and having lived long on earth and all those years in Spain in the golden time, the lord of the valleys of Argento Jerez, whose heights see not Valladolid, called for his eldest son and so he addressed him when he was come to his chamber, dim with its strange red hangings, and august with the splendor of Spain. O eldest son of mine, your younger brother being dull and clever, on whom those traits that women love have not been bestowed by God, and know, my eldest son, that here on earth, and for aught I know hereafter but certainly here on earth, these women be the arbiters of all things, and how this be so God knoweth only, for they are vain and variable, yet it is surely so. Your younger brother then not having been given those ways that women prize, and God knows why they prize them, for they are vain ways that I have in my mind, and that won me the valleys of Argento Jerez, from whose heights Angelico swore that he saw Valladolid once, and that won me moreover also. But that is long ago, and is all gone now. Ah, well. Well, what was I saying? And being reminded of his discourse, the old lord continued, saying, For himself he will win nothing, and therefore I leave him these, my valleys, for not unlikely it was some sin of mine that his spirit was visited with dullness, as holy writ sets forth, the sins of the fathers being visited on the children, and thus I make him amends. But to you I leave my long, most flexible, ancient Castilian blade, which infidels dreaded, if old songs be true. Merry and lithe it is, and its true temper singeth when it meets another blade, as two friends sing when met after many years. It is most subtle, nimble, and exultant, and what it will not win for you in the wars, that shall be won for you by your mandolin for you have a way with it that goes well with the old airs of Spain. And choose, my son, rather a moonlit night when you sing under those curved balconies that I knew, 
Ah, me, so well. For there is much advantage in the moon. In the first place, maidens see in the light of the moon, especially in the spring, more romance than you might credit, for it adds for them a mystery to the darkness which the night has not when it is merely black. And if any statue should gleam on the grass near by, or if the magnolia be in blossom, or even the nightingale singing, or if anything be beautiful in the night, in any of these things also there is advantage. For a maiden will attribute to her lover all manner of things that are not his at all, but are only outpourings from the hand of God. There is this advantage also in the moon, that, if interrupters come, the moonlight is better suited to the play of a blade than the mere darkness of the night. Indeed, but the merry play of my sword in the moonlight was often a joy to see. It so flashed, so danced, so sparkled. In the moonlight also one makes no unworthy stroke, but hath scope for those fair passes that Sevastiani taught, which were long ago the wonder of Madrid. The old lord paused and breathed for a little space as it were gathering breath for his last words to his son. He breathed deliberately, then spoke again. I leave you, he said, well content that you have the two accomplishments, my son, that are most needful in a Christian man, skill with the sword and away with the mandolin. There be other arts indeed among the heathen, for the world is wide and hath full many customs, but these two alone are needful. And then, with that grand manner that they had in that time in Spain, although his strength was failing, he gave to his eldest son his Castilian sword. He lay back then in the huge carved canopied bed, his eyes closed, the red silk curtains rustled, and there was no sound of his breathing. But the old lord's spirit, whatever journey it proposed, lingered yet in its ancient habitation, and his voice came again but feebly now, and rambling. He muttered a while of gardens, such gardens no doubt as the Hidalgos guarded in that fertile region of sunshine, in the proudest period of Spain. He would have known no others. So for a while his memory seemed to stray, half blind among those perfumed earthly wonders. Perhaps among these memories his spirit halted, and tarried those last few moments, mistaking those Spanish gardens, remembered by moonlight in spring, for the other end of his journey, the glades of paradise. However it be, it tarried. These rambling memories ceased, and silence fell again, with scarcely the sound of breathing. Then, gathering up his strength for the last time, and looking at his son, The sword to the wars, he said, the mandolin to the balconies. With that he fell back dead. Now, there were no wars at that time, so far as was known in Spain. But the old lord's eldest son, regarding those last words of his father as a commandment, determined then and there in that dim vast chamber to gird his legacy to him and seek for the wars, wherever the wars might be, so soon as the obsequies of the sepulchre were ended. And of those obsequies I tell not here, for they are fully told in the black books of Spain and the deeds of that old lord's youth are told in the golden stories. The Book of Maidens mentions him, and again we read of him in the gardens of Spain. I take my leave of him, happy, I trust, in paradise, 
for he had himself the accomplishments that he held needful in a Christian, skill with the sword, and away with the mandolin. And if there be some harder, better way to salvation than to follow that which we believe to be good, then we are all damned. So he was buried, and his eldest son fared forth with his legacy dangling from his girdle in its long, straight, lovely scabbard, blue velvet, with emeralds on it, fared forth on foot along a road of Spain. And though the road turned left and right, and sometimes nearly ceased, as though to let the small wild flowers grow, out of sheer good will such as some roads never have, though it ran west and east and sometimes south, yet in the main it ran northward, though wandered is a better word than ran, for the lord of the valleys of Argentu Jarez, who owned no valleys, or anything but a sword, kept company with it, looking for the wars. Upon his back he had slung his mandolin. Now the time of the year was spring, not spring as we know it in England, for it was but early March, but it was the time when spring coming up out of Africa, or unknown lands to the south, first touches Spain, and multitudes of anemones come forth at her feet. Thence she comes north to our islands, no less wonderful in our woods than in Andalusian valleys, fresh as a new song, fabulous as a rune, but a little pale through travel, so that our flowers do not flare forth with all the myriad blaze of the flowers of Spain. And all the way he went, the young man looked at the flame of those southern flowers, flashing on either side of him all the way, as though the rainbow had been broken in heaven, and its fragments fallen on Spain. All the way as he went he gazed at those flowers, the first anemones of the year, and long after, whenever he sang to old airs of Spain, he thought of Spain as it appeared that day in all the wonder of spring. The memory lent a beauty to his voice, and a wistfulness to his eyes that accorded not ill with the theme of the songs he sang, and were more than once to melt proud hearts deemed cold. And so gazing, he came to a town that stood on a hill, before he was yet tired, though he had done nigh twenty of those flowery miles of Spain. And since it was evening, and the light was fading away, he went to an inn and drew his sword in the twilight, and knocked with the hilt of it on the oaken door. The name of the inn was the Dragon and Knight. A light was lit in one of the upper windows. The darkness seemed to deepen at that moment. A step was heard coming heavily down a stairway, and having named the inn to you, gentle reader, it is time for me to name the young man also, the landless lord of the valleys of Argento Jarez. As the step comes slowly down the inner stairway, as the gloaming darkens over the first house in which he has ever sought shelter so far from his father's valleys, as he stands upon the threshold of romance. He was named Rodriguez Trinidad Fernandez, Concepcion Enrique Maria, but we shall briefly name him Rodriguez in this story. You and I, reader, will know whom we mean. There is no need, therefore, to give him his full names, unless I do it here and there to remind you. The steps came thumping on down the inner stairway. Different windows took the light of the candle, and none other shone in the house. It was clear that it was moving with the steps all down that echoing stairway. The sound of the steps ceased to reverberate upon the wood, and now they moved slowly over the stone flags. Rodriguez now heard breathing, one breath with every step, and at length the sound of bolts and chains undone, and the breathing now very close. 
The door was opened swiftly. A man with mean eyes, an expression devoted to evil, stood watching him for an instant. Then the door slammed to again. The bolts were heard going back again to their places. The steps in the breathing moved away over the stone floor, and the inner stairway began again to echo. "'If the wars are here,' said Rodriguez to himself and his sword, "'good, and I sleep under the stars.' And he listened in the street for the sound of war, and hearing none, continued his discourse. "'But if I have not come as yet to the wars, I sleep beneath a roof.' For the second time, therefore, he drew his sword, and began to strike methodically at the door, noting the grain of the wood and hitting where it was softest. Scarcely had he got a good strip of oak to look like coming away when the steps once more descended the wooden stair and came lumbering over the stones. Both the steps and the breathing were quicker, for mine host of the dragon and knight was hurrying to save his door. When he heard the sound of the bolts and chains again, Rodriguez ceased to beat upon the door. Once more it opened swiftly, and saw mine host before him, eyeing him with those bad eyes. Of too much girth, you might have said, to be nimble, yet somehow suggesting to the swift intuition of youth, as Rodriguez looked at him standing upon his doorstep, the spirit and shape of a spider, who despite her ungainly build, is agile enough in her way. Mine host said nothing and Rodriguez, who seldom concerned himself with the past, holding that the future is all we can order the scheme of, and maybe even there he was wrong, made no mention of bolts or door, and merely demanded a bed for himself for the night. Mine host rubbed his chin. He had neither beard nor mustache, but wore hideous whiskers. He rubbed it thoughtfully, and looked at Rodriguez. Yes, he said, he could have a bed for the night. No more words, he said but turned and led the way, while Rodriguez, who could sing to the mandolin, wasted none of his words on this discourteous object. They ascended the short oak stairway down which mine host had come, the great timbers of which were gnawed by myriad rats, and they went by passages with the light of one candle into the interior of the inn, which went back further from the street than the young man had supposed. Indeed, he perceived when they came to the great corridor at the end of which was his appointed chamber, that here was no ordinary inn, as it had appeared from the outside, but that it penetrated into the fastness of some great family of former times, which had fallen on evil days. The vast size of it, the noble design where the rats had spared the carving, what the moths had left of the tapestries, all testified to that. And as for the evil days, they hung about the place, evident even by the light of one candle, guttering with every draught that blew from the haunts of the rats, an inseparable heirloom for all who disturbed those corridors. And so they came to the chamber. Mine host entered, bowed without grace in the doorway, and extended his left hand, pointing into the room. The draughts that blew from the rat-holes in the wainscot, or the mere action of entering, beat down the flame of the squat, guttering candle, so that the chamber remained dim for a moment, in spite of the candle, as would naturally be the case. Yet the impression made upon Rodriguez was as of some old darkness that had been long undisturbed, and that yielded reluctantly to that candle's intrusion, a darkness that properly became the place, and was part of it, and had long been so, in the face of which the candle appeared an ephemeral thing, devoid of grace or dignity or tradition. And indeed there was room for darkness in that chamber, 
for the walls went up and up into such an altitude that you could scarcely see the ceiling at which mine host's eyes had glanced and rodriguez followed his look he accepted his accommodation with a nod as indeed he would have accepted any room in that inn for the young are swift judges of character and one who had accepted such a host was unlikely to find fault with rats or the profusion of giant cobwebs dark with the dust of years that added so much to the dimness of that sinister inn they turned now and went back in the wake of that guttering candle till they came again to the humbler part of the building here mine host pushing open a door of blackened oak indicated his dining chamber there a long table stood and on it parts of the head and hams of a boar and at the far end of the table a plump and sturdy man was seated in shirt-sleeves feasting himself on the boar's meat he leaped up at once from his chair as soon as his master entered for he was the servant of the dragon and knight mine host may have said much to him in the flash of his eyes but he said no more with his tongue than the one word dog he then bowed himself out leaving rodriguez to take the only chair and to be waited upon by its recent possessor the boar's meat was cold and gnarled another piece of meat stood on a plate on a shelf and a loaf of bread nearby but the rats had had most of the bread rodriguez demanded what the meat was unicorn's tongue said the servant and rodriguez bade him set the dish before him and he set to well content for i fear the unicorn's tongue was only hoarse it was a credulous age as all ages are at the same time he pointed to a three-legged stool that he perceived in the corner of the room then to the table then to the boar's meat and lastly at the servant who perceived that he was permitted to return to his feast to which he ran with alacrity your name said rodriguez as soon as both were eating morano replied the servant though it must not be supposed that when answering rodriguez he spoke as curtly as this. I merely give the reader the gist of his answer, for he added Spanish words that correspond in our depraved and decadent language of to-day to such words as top-dog, nut, and boss, so that his speech had a certain grace about it in that far-away time in Spain. I have said that Rodriguez seldom concerned himself with the past, but considered chiefly the future it was of the future that he was now thinking as he asked morano this question why did my worthy and entirely excellent host shut his door in my face did he so said morano he then bolted it and found it necessary to put the chains back doubtless for some good reason yes said morano thoughtfully looking at rodriguez and so he might he must have liked you Verily, Rodriguez was just the young man to send out with a sword and a mandolin into the wide world, for he had much shrewd sense. He never pressed a point, but when something had been said that might mean much, he preferred to store it, as it were, in his mind and pass on to other things, somewhat as one might kill game and pass on and kill more and bring it all home, while a savage would cook the first kill where it fell and eat it on the spot pardon me reader but at morano's remark you may perhaps have exclaimed that is not the way to treat one you like not so did rodriguez his attention passed on to notice morano's rings which he wore in great profusion upon his little fingers they were gold and of exquisite work and had once held precious stones as large gaps testified 
In these days they would have been priceless, but in an age when workers only worked at arts that they understood, and then worked for the joy of it, before the word artistic became ridiculous, exquisite work went without saying, and as the rings were slender they were of little value. Rodriguez made no comment upon the rings. It was enough for him to have noticed them. He merely noted that they were not ladies' rings, for no lady's ring would have fitted on to any of those fingers. The rings, therefore, of gallants, and not given to Morano by their owners, for whoever wore precious stone needed a ring to wear it in, and rings did not wear out like hose, which a gallant might give to a servant. Nor, thought he, had Morano stolen them, for whoever stole them would keep them whole, or part with them whole, and get a better price. Besides, Morano had an honest face, or a face at least that seemed honest in such an inn, and while these thoughts were passing through his mind, Morano spoke again. Good hams, said Morano. He had already eaten one and was starting upon the next. Perhaps he spoke out of gratitude for the honor and physical advantage of being permitted to sit there and eat those hams, perhaps tentatively, to find out whether he might consume the second, perhaps merely to start a conversation, being attracted by the honest looks of Rodriguez. You are hungry, said Rodriguez. Praise God, I am always hungry answered Morano. If I were not hungry, I should starve. Is it so? said Rodriguez. You see, said Morano, the manner of it is this. My master gives me no food, and it is only when I am hungry that I dare to rob him by breaking in, as you saw me, upon his viands. Were I not hungry, I should not dare to do so, and so... He made a sad and expressive moment with both hands, suggestive of autumn leaves, blown hence to die. "'He gives you no food?' said Rodriguez. "'It is the way of many men with their dog,' said Morano. "'They give him no food.' And then he rubbed his hands cheerfully. "'And yet the dog does not die.' "'And he gives you no wages?' said Rodriguez. "'Just these rings.' Now Rodriguez had himself a ring upon his finger, as a gallant should, a slender piece of gold with four tiny angels holding a sapphire, and for a moment he pictured the sapphire passing into the hands of mine host, and the ring of gold and the four small angels being flung to Morano. The thought darkened his gaiety, for no longer than one of those fleecy clouds in spring shadows the fields of Spain. Morano was also looking at the ring. He had followed the young man's glance. Master, he said, do you draw your sword of a knight? And you, said Rodriguez. I have no sword, said Morano. I am but as dog's meat that needs no guarding. But you, whose meat is rare, like the flesh of the unicorn, need a sword to guard your meat. The unicorn has his horn always, and even then he sometimes sleeps. It is bad, you think, to sleep, Rodriguez said. For some, it is very bad, master. They say they never take the unicorn waking. For me, I am but dog's meat. When I have eaten hams, I curl up and sleep. But then you see, master, I know I shall wake in the morning. Ah, said Rodriguez, the morning's a pleasant time. 
and he leaned back comfortably in his chair. Morano took one shrewd look at him, and was soon asleep on his three-legged stool. The door opened after a while, and mine host appeared. It is late, he said. Rodriguez smiled acquiescently, and mine host withdrew, and presently leaving Morano, whom his master's voice had waked, to curl up on the floor in a corner, Rodriguez took the candle that lit the room and passed once more through the passages of the inn and down the great corridor of the fastness of the family that had fallen on evil days, and so came to his chamber. I will not waste a multitude of words over that chamber. If you have no picture of it in your mind already, my reader, you are reading an unskilled writer and if in that picture it appear a wholesome room, tidy and well kept up, if it appear a place in which a stranger might sleep without some faint foreboding of disaster, then I am wasting your time, and will waste it no more with bits of descriptive writing about that dim high room whose blackness towered before Rodriguez in the night. He entered and shut the door, as many had done before him. But for all his youth he took some wiser precautions than they had, perhaps, who closed that door before. For first he drew his sword. Then for some time he stood quite still near the door and listened to the rats. Then he looked round the chamber and perceived only one door. Then he looked at the heavy oak furniture, carved by some artist, gnawed by rats, and all blackened by time. Then swiftly opened the door of the largest cupboard and thrust his sword in to see who might be inside. But the carved satyr's heads at the top of the cupboard eyed him silently and nothing moved. Then he noted that, though there was no bolt on the door, the furniture might be placed across to make what in the wars is called a barricado. But the wiser thought came to him at once that this was too easily done, and that if the danger that the dim room seemed gloomily to forebode were to come from a door so readily barricadoed, then those must have been simple gallants who parted so easily with the rings that adorned Morano's two little fingers. No, it was something more subtle, than any attack through that door that brought his regular wages to Morano. Rodriguez looked at the window, which let in the light of a moon that was getting low, for the curtains had years ago been eaten up by the moths. But the window was barred with iron bars that were not yet rusted away, and looked out, thus guarded, over a sheer wall that even in the moonlight fell into blackness. Rodriguez then looked round for some hidden door, the sword all the while in his hand, and very soon, he knew that room fairly well, but not its secret, nor why those unknown gallants had given up their rings. It is much to know of an unknown danger that really is unknown. Many have met their deaths through looking for danger from one particular direction, whereas had they perceived that they were ignorant of its direction, they would have been wise in their ignorance. Rodriguez had the great discretion to understand clearly that he did not know the direction from which the danger would come. He accepted this as his only discovery about that portentous room, which seemed to beckon to him with every shadow, and to sigh over him with every mournful draught, and to whisper to him unintelligible warnings with every rustle of tattered silk that hung about his bed. And as soon as he discovered that this was his only knowledge, he began at once to make his preparations. He was a right young man for the wars. He divested himself of his shoes and doublet and the light cloak that hung from his shoulder, and cast the clothes on a chair. Over the back of the chair he slung his girdle, and the scabbard hanging therefrom, and placed his plumed hat so that none could see that his Castilian blade was not in its resting place. 
and when the sombre chamber had the appearance of one having undressed in it before retiring, Rodriguez turned his attention to the bed, which he noticed to be of great depth and softness. That something not unlike blood had been spilt on the floor excited no wonder in Rodriguez. That vast chamber was evidently, as I have said, in the fortress of some great family, against one of whose walls the humble inn had once leaned for protection. The great family were gone. How they were gone, Rodriguez did not know, but it excited no wonder in him to see blood on the boards. Besides, two gallants may have disagreed, or one who loved not dumb animals may have been killing rats. Blood did not disturb him. But what amazed him, and would have surprised anyone who stood in that ruinous room, was that there were clean new sheets on the bed. Had you seen the state of the furniture and the floor, O oh my reader, and the vastness of the old cobwebs and the black dust that they held, the dead spiders and the huge dead flies, and the living generation of spiders descending and ascending through the gloom, I say that you would have been surprised at the sight of those nice clean sheets. Rodriguez noted the fact and continued his preparations. He took the bolster from underneath the pillow and laid it down the middle of the bed and put the sheets back over it. Then he stood back and looked at it, much as a sculptor might stand back from his marble. Then he returned to it, and bent it a little in the middle, and after that he placed his mandolin on the pillow, and nearly covered it with the sheet, but not quite, for a little of the curved dark brown wood remained still to be seen. It looked wonderfully now, like a sleeper in the bed. But Rodriguez was not satisfied with his work until he had placed his handkerchief in one of his shoes where a shoulder ought to be. Then he stood back once more and eyed it with satisfaction. Next he considered the light. He looked at the light of the moon and remembered his father's advice, as the young often do, but considered that this was not the occasion for it, and decided to leave the light of his candle instead, so that anyone who might be familiar with the moonlight in that shadowy chamber should find instead a less sinister light. He therefore dragged a table to the bedside, placed the candle upon it, and opened a treasured book that he bore in his doublet, and laid it on the bed nearby, between the candle and his mandolin-headed sleeper. The name of the book was Notes in a Cathedral, and dealt with the confessions of a young girl, which the author claimed to have jotted down, while concealed behind a pillow near the confessional every Sunday for the entire period of Lent. Lastly, he pulled his sheet a little loose from the bed, until a corner of it lay on the floor. Then he lay down on the boards, still keeping his sword in his hand, and by means of the sheet and some silk that hung from the bed, he concealed himself sufficient for his purpose, which was to see before he should be seen by any intruder that might enter the chamber. And if Rodriguez appeared to have been unduly suspicious, it should be borne in mind not only that those empty rings needed much explanation, but that every house suggests to the stranger something, and that whereas one house seems to promise a welcome in front of cosy fires, another good fare, another joyous wine, this inn seemed to promise murder, or so the young man's intuition said, and the young are wise to trust to their intuitions. The reader will know, if he be one of us, who have been to the wars and slept in curious ways, that it is hard to sleep when sober upon a floor. It is not like the earth, or snow, or a feather bed. Even rock can be more accommodating. It is hard, unyielding, and level, all night, unmistakable floor. Yet Rodriguez took no risk of falling asleep, 
So he said over to himself in his mind as much as he remembered of his treasured book, Notes in the Cathedral, which he always read to himself before going to rest, and now so sadly missed. It told how a lady, who had listened to a lover longer than her soul's safety could warrant, as he played languorous music in the moonlight and sang soft by her low balcony, and she, being truly penitent, had gathered many roses, the emblems of love, as surely, she said at confession, all the world knows, and when her lover came again by moonlight, had cast them all from her from the balcony, showing that she had renounced love, and her lover had entirely misunderstood her. It told how she often tried to show him this again, and all the misunderstandings are sweetly set forth and with true Christian penitence. Sometimes some little matter escaped Rodriguez's memory, and then he longed to rise up and look at his dear book, yet he lay still where he was, and all the while he listened to the rats, and the rats went on gnawing and running regularly, scared by nothing new. Rodriguez trusted all the while he listened to the rats. Rodriguez trusted as much to their myriad ears as to his own too. The great spiders descended out of such heights as you could not see whence they came, and ascended again into blackness. It was a chamber of prodigious height. Sometimes the shadow of a descending spider that had come close to the candle assumed a frightening size, but Rodriguez gave little thought to it. It was of murder, he was thinking, not of shadows. Still, in its way it was ominous, and reminded Rodriguez horribly of his host. But what of an omen, again, in a chamber full of omens? The place itself was ominous. Spiders could scarce make it more so. The spider itself was big enough, he thought, to be impaled on his Castilian blade. Indeed, he would have done it, but that he thought it wiser to stay where he was and watch. And then the spider found the candle too hot, and climbed in a hurry all the way to the ceiling, in his horrible shadow, grew less and dwindled away. It was not that the rats were frightened. Whatever it was that happened, happened too quietly for that. But the volume of the sound of their running had suddenly increased. It was not like fear among them, for the running was no swifter, and it did not fade away. It was as though the sound of rats running, which had not been heard before, was suddenly heard now. Rodriguez looked at the door. The door was shut. A young Englishman would long ago have been afraid he was making a fuss over nothing and would have gone to sleep in the bed and not seen what Rodriguez saw. He might have thought that hearing more rats all at once was merely a fancy, that everything was all right. Rodriguez saw a rope coming slowly down from the ceiling. He quickly determined whether it was a rope or only the shadow of some huge spider's thread, and then he watched it and saw it come down right over his bed and stop within a few feet of it. Rodriguez looked up cautiously to see who had sent him that strange addition to the portents that troubled the chamber, but the ceiling was too high and dim for him to perceive anything but the rope coming down out of the darkness. Yet he surmised that the ceiling must have softly opened, without any sound at all, at the moment that he heard the greater number of rats. He waited then to see what the rope would do and at first it hung as still as the great festoons dead spiders made in the corners. Then as he watched it, it began to sway. He looked up into the dimness, then to see who was swaying the rope, and for a long time, as it seemed to him, lying gripping his Castilian sword on the floor, he saw nothing clearly. And then he saw mine host coming down the rope, 
hand over hand quite nimbly, as though he lived by this business. In his right hand he held a poniard of exceptional length, yet he managed to clutch the rope and hold the poniard all the time with the same hand. If there had been something hideous about the shadow of the spider that came down from that height, the shadow of mine host was indeed demoniac. He, too, was like a spider, with his body at no time slender, all bunched up on the rope, and his shadow was six times his size. You could turn from the spider's shadow to the spider and see that it was for the most part a fancy of the candle, half crazed by the draughts, but to turn from mine host's shadow to himself and to see his wicked eyes was to say that the candle's wildest fears were true. So he climbed down his rope, holding his poniard upward. But when he came within perhaps ten feet of the bed, he pointed it downward and began to sway about. It will be readily seen that by swaying his rope at a height mine host could drop on any part of the bed. Rodriguez, as he watched him, saw him scrutinize closely and continue to sway on his rope. He feared that mine host was ill-satisfied with the look of the mandolin, and that he would climb away again, well warned of his guest's astuteness, into the heights of the ceiling to devise some fearfuller scheme. But he was only looking for the shoulder. And then mine host dropped, poignard first he went down with all the weight behind it and drove it through the bolster below where the shoulder should be just where we slant our arms across our bodies when we lie asleep on our sides leaving the ribs exposed and the soft bed received him and the moment that mine host let go of his rope rodriguez leaped to his feet he saw rodriguez indeed their eyes met as he dropped to the air but what could mine host do he was already committed to his stroke, and his poignard was already deep in the mattress when the good Castilian blade passed through his ribs. End of section one.